All right, let's go in. Okay. I like sitting in the camper. Are we stupid for sitting in the camper? Maybe, but it's kind of fun. We're in our driveway. It's the best. I love it. Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Brandy. And we're encouraging you to start cramming memories into everyday life. Hello and welcome to episode eight of Cramming Memories. We're back. Yay. We're live. We're kind of live. Oh, wait. Yeah. When they're listening, it's probably not live. It's not live at all. That's true. All right. <laughs> well, today we wanted to chat about a couple things from um, the history of RVing. That's kind of interesting to me. Yeah, we're history nerds. I mean, well, he is. He likes this stuff. I don't read a lot of books, but I definitely watch a lot of um, documentaries. Oh, yes. So we're going to talk about the history of RVing. Then we may uh, venture into um, some quality of the way RVs are getting churned out today. Or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. And then Brandy has a question about the word China bomb. Stay tuned. Nothing that's atomic, <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> All right, welcome to episode eight of cramming memories. So David wanted to chat about the history of RV. So if you don't know the history and that bores you, you may want to skip back to seven and listen again and come back. Or just nine. Yeah. No, you're good. All right. So one of the things that kind of in like intrigues me about the history of RVing is like, why did this happen? What do you mean? Why did this happen? Like so, why? While yeah. we're in a camper? So people forever, I mean, think about all the way back to cavemen, right? Okay. Um, They traveled around. Um, very nomadic. Probably nomadic kind of dealio because they're having to go wherever the weather is, wherever their uh, food source is, right? And yes, and they hitched their travel trailer to their no, ram truck. <laughs> no, they, they <laughs> always tried to find a place to bed down. Right. Right? They tried to find permanent housing. It seems to be... What's ingrained in like all of us. Okay. So where in the world did people start to want to drag something behind them or drive it to travel and live in? So that led me to do a little research on where RVs came from and where the modern RV came from. Because really, maybe cavemen had RVs. <laughs> maybe they did. <laughs> maybe they had like Dino the Dinosaur that's true. They drug a little RV wagon behind it. Very Flintstone. But we just didn't know it, right? Yep. So I jumped into hours upon hours of research. Wow, you do so much. No, really not. But a little bit of research, so at least <laughs> I know where the original RV idea was born. So let's jump into this. So whenever you start Googling where did RVs come from, what's the history um, one of the main documents that comes to the top is the history from the Smithsonian. Okay. They That's have, that place in Washington, D.C.? They D. sound pretty legit. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know this Smith guy, but he sounds He sounds really pretty smart. Pretty legit. <laughs> so most seem to agree that the Conestoga wagon from the 1700s seems to be the best place to start. Very interesting, right? Yeah. So these wagons are the traditional Western wagons that I imagine in the Old West. Right. Kind of the um, like rounded top. wagon yeah, that you hang right? out in. All right. Yeah. But people didn't use them to live in. That's kind of what I'm, go I'm going back to is that humans don't typically want to be nomadic like that. They want to find a home, build some walls, 
dig in the ground, get in a cave, mm-hmm. protect your land. All right. So these were used more to move products and not people. So they weren't really a recreational vehicle. Right. But if they moved people, it was moving them from one place to another, though, right? Because families, of course, would travel in one of these covered wagons, right? Yeah, but typically trying to get to their permanent land. Yeah, okay. But most people think that's where the first, like, wagon came from, where people were mobile. They had wheels on them. They were serving lunch out of it. They, like, kept all their clothes and Mm -hmm. stuff to cook, right? So that's where it seems to actually start. Um, But it appears the invention of the motorized automobile was just what was needed to spark the beginnings of RVs. Right? Well, I mean, sure. I think with an engine and a car, then that would definitely (laughs) spark some some interest, I would think. So think back to the old days. Whenever you had these wagons, um, we we see these old uh, TV shows from the 50s, and these wagons are just gliding. Everybody's laughing. They're having a great time. Right. That's not how it was. Uh-uh. There were really no roads. There were rut, muddy bogs that they had to pull through. It was super rough. So it really wasn't a pleasant experience to get from one end of the country to the other. Yeah, it would be kind of bumpy, I would think. Yeah, and it took forever. So once the motorized automobile became the norm, so the streets came. Okay. Aha. The streets came. That makes sense. Now we can get from one place to another on a fairly smooth street. Gotcha. And a more direct path. Yes. So that that seems to be another key to the um, RV or uh, travel trailer, right? Is yes. that we have to have roads to drive them on. 1910. Does oh, that your ring a bell to you? Um, It's a little bit before my time. Me too. So <laughs> 1910 <laughs> seems to be the year the experts say is the start of RVs. It was the beginning. It was the mothership. It was the blast off of where the RVs happened. But it probably wasn't that exciting whenever it happened. Probably didn't blast off too much in 1910. This is true. So in 1910, the Pierce Aero Touring Landau. That's a lot of words. That's a lot of words. Apparently, this was something that was invented so you could cross the country mm-hmm. or cross several, you know, several states. That seems to be the first one that um, was considered more like an RV. It had some sort of indoor plumbing in it. Oh. I know. Very interesting. I believe it was so they could have fresh water. In 1910? 1910. And it wow. also had some sort of phone so the passengers could talk to the driver. Huh? Yeah. Like passengers like next to them or behind them? Probably back in the back. That seems to be what I got from it. Wow. So this vehicle was debuted at the Madison Square Garden in 1910. That's super cool. Yeah. So Smithsonian says this was the nation's first RV. So that was 1910 considered to be the first RV. So it's 1910. Now we're in year 2019. That's um, a lot of years in it between. It is. It is. And we've come a long way. So kind of the next step in that brought motorized vehicles to more of the commoner was the Model T. Mm-hmm. Right? Henry Ford. Yes. He revolutionized the whole manufacturing process. He was able to do it cheaper, faster, churn them out, and people bought them, right? Yeah. So in 1913, somebody made what they called the Earl Trailer and Model T Ford. 
It was custom built for the owner and seemed to be the start of the modern day travel trailer. So like a tow behind? Yes. Oh. So somewhere between uh, 1910 and 1913, somebody said, why am I making a motorhome? Which they didn't know it was a motorhome. Right. And why don't I make a trailer? So they actually made this combo, right? So that kind of kicked off the whole travel trailer RV thing. So that's only a th- uh, that's only a three year period. That's a lot happened in three that's years. That's a lot happening. Man, America was mover and shakers back then. Absolutely, they were inventing. They were coming up with n- with new cool things. That whole industrial revolution is a real thing. It was a hundred percent a real thing. So in the nineteen twenties and thirties, um, there was a nickname that uh, they called certain RV owners, and it was called Tin Can Tourist. Um, well, see, when I hear Tin Can Tourist, I'm thinking of like an Airstream kind of thing, but that's not... Yeah, I did too. So I've heard the Tin Can Tourist Right, thing and I always attribute it to like an, an old Isle of Lucy, yep. long, long trailer. Me too. Apparently that's not correct. Okay. So the name came from their tendency to um, have tin cans on their radiators for warming up food. Well, that's definitely <laughs> not what I was expecting to hear. So when they pulled off on the side of the road for the evening, they used to warm their food up by their radiators. Oh, wow. Pretty cool, right? That's very ingenious. It's very ingenious, and it just worked. So um, it wasn't until the late 1930s that the predecessors of the Airstream style would hit the, the market. So that's when oh, all wow. that started to happen. Some, uh, some of those that actually look like the current Airstream, Airstream models, which okay. hasn't changed a ton in their overall look, right? So you've got like 20 years in between those. It's like the a very first typical RV, like in 1910 to 1930, where it came on to where it was like... Um, more of an airstream model yeah so really really fast um that was a lot of inventions that had to happen right right by the 1950s that's when we seemed to really hit full speed for rving Mm -hmm. so this was kind of normal and i think that's where some of those isle of lucy episodes or maybe it wasn't isle of lucy they're like long long trailer long long trailer that was Daisy and lucy that was a movie it was a movie i don't think it was part of their show right that's where that culture from coast to coast travel started right so this is like vacationing like people would use this as a vacation tool correct and that's when rv parks and groups started being dedicated to the uh, rv culture right that's cool it is really cool so basically from 1910 to 1950 so we're only 40 years in wow and man it's just really taken off now, one of the other reasons that I just believe why that did take off is you go from a culture of you're just trying to move out west to find land to grow food so you don't die. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. It's that uh, hierarchy of uh, needs, right? Right, right. You got to have food. Yeah, you have a place to live. You got to have yeah. shelter. Yeah. So by the time we hit RVing, um, American culture is a little more established. Mm-hmm. So we've, you know, we've got housing got electricity we've got clean running water so what do you do you want to move out of the house and electricity well that's really cool RVing. though because it tells you the type of um nation that we had at that time because obviously these these people were taking vacation so if you can take time off of work to actually go and vacation then your economy in your country was well established and doing well i mean yeah. i would think so yeah so we kind of go into the most iconic trailer that we've already mentioned. That's 
That's the Airstream. Right, of course. That seemed to be what really um, intrigued people, right? It was mm-hmm. just, uh, it was something that looked a little different. Honestly, even today, um, they look very, you know, futuristic. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. I get excited when I see an Airstream driving down the road every time. So Yeah, I do too. So the company was created by Wally Byam. Okay. All right. Um, he actually started building Masonite-sided trailers in the 20s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and he produced a how-to book on how to build your own trailer. Oh, wait. So he was just trying to show people how to do this on their own? Well, whenever he first started. So in the 20s, he started producing the how-to books to build a trailer, which is really interesting that he was trying to show the masses how to do what he was already doing. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So I started thinking, when did Airstream create that first look that people were so used to seeing? So 1936 was where the iconic Airstream shape came from. That was during the Great Depression. That's unusual that I would think that you would launch something during a time where people didn't have a whole lot of expendable money. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's actually really interesting. Um, Airstream was the only surviving camper manufacturer after the Great Depression. But unfortunately, what pulled us out of the Great Depression was World War II. Mm-hmm. And we see all the signs about all, all the wives having to go into work, right? Right. And the Airstream looks like an airplane. Yeah. There's a bunch of aluminum in it. So because of World War II with the aluminum shortage... And people focused on that war, um, they had to use the aluminum for something else, right? Right. So, So, yes, I don't know what the shutdown was, but there was definitely a gap there where they were using all the aluminum to make planes and not Airstreams. Probably a little bit more important than an Airstream during that time. That's really cool, though. Definitely. But after World War II, the economy was booming Mm -hmm. because a lot of people did go back to work. Right. They had all these manufacturing jobs and such. So in 1948, that's when Airstream went back to making trailers, right? Yeah. So the war was over. People were home. People were working. People were taking vacations again. That's it, too. That's kind of what the next kickoff was, is that all these soldiers were coming home. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot of manufacturing. So probably whenever they got home, some of the wives went back to homemakers. The husbands went back into these manufacturing jobs. And then um, they had a little dough in their pocket because the military paid them. They were in the Depression prior to that. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to figure out a cheap way to take vacations because vacations are really expensive. So if you can find a cheaper way to do it. Right. So I think this was uh, very good for these soldiers that had just came home. So 1948, Airstream starts making trailers. They're the only ones that weathered the Great Depression. Surely there were other spin-ups after, you know, after that. but. That keeps trugging along. An interesting note for the Airstream history, though, and this is what I found most interesting. I've always heard that if you're into campers and trailers, that uh, Thor bought Airstream. Yeah. And and ever since Thor, because they're this huge manufacturer now that owns tons of other camper lines, that they really reduce the quality of Airstream, right? Yeah. I've heard that. I have too. So I did a little research on on that, and that's not really the case of how Thor came to be. In 1980, Thor took on Airstream as a failing company. So Thor was created to purchase Airstream to save it. Hmm. Yes. So during the 70s and late 70s, 
Um, I've been told the quality of Airstreams and what they were doing was actually going downhill. Okay. So Thor bought it in 1980, and it is still the mother company for Airstream to this date. Interesting. It's very interesting because I always have, you know, had been told that Thor had bought Airstream and whatever happened. Right. But apparently they saved Airstream. That's really cool. It's very cool. So little tidbits. All right. Now we've got some basic structure of where RVs came from. And, but now I want to know why. So this is how they like got to this point Um, after World War II. We kind of created some momentum of uh, these these young families coming mm-hmm. home after the war, looking for a cheap vacation. But why? Why do people still want them? Why do people still love them? Them being travel trailers, like why people still love a travel trailer? While we're while we're still purchasing them, while they purchase them, then yeah, why why do we still have this need to travel and take our little homes with us? And like I said, some of the hint is back after the Great Depression and after World War II, people found them as cheap housing too, though. Yeah. So they weren't only vacays, but people were coming back from World War II or after the Great Depression, they couldn't afford housing. Mm-hmm. So they were actually purchasing some of those that were made prior to that time to use as cheap housing. That's interesting because there's a lot of families who live in their RVs today. Very, very true. I would imagine this is probably kind of a last resort, like they couldn't find any other place back then. Yeah. But some of those people that couldn't find housing then could have kept some of those RVs out of the junkyard or getting mm-hmm. recycled or reused to make airplanes. So we may have to thank some of those people for living in them, (laughs) for having some of these old RVs, right? That's interesting, yeah. All right, and then we go back to is definitely a cheap vacation for the returning vets and their families. So let's take two of these reasons more in the current day. Okay. Back after the Great Depression and World War II, some people used the RVs as cheap housing, right? Okay. So some people do that now. Absolutely. There's lots of full-time families. But some of these campers are not very cheap. No. True. (laughs) Especially if you drag them around with a big (laughs) F-350. Very true. Yeah. But um, a lot of these campers are not made for full RV full-time living, right? The ones today, yeah. A lot of them are not. Yeah, very few of them are. So trying to find them for long-term living, you have to do a lot of maintenance on them. Mm -hmm. A lot of the warranties now they actually specify they're not for full-time living. Right, yeah. There are some manufacturers that will say that they are rated for full-time living, but you're right. It is very few and far between. That is true. So that could be one negative whenever you jump into one if you're thinking about full-time and you need to research about the warranty. Mm -hmm. And is this thing really made to be lived in all the time, right? Correct. All right, let's move on to cheap vacations. Yeah, we've kind of talked about that a little bit. We have talked about that in uh, the episode about is it really worth it to you to buy a camper? Really, I think that is still the driving force why camping is popular. Yeah, it's super popular right now. Yeah, so back in episode four, we did talk about the real cost of owning a camper and that it may not be a cheaper option. But if you come around to our way of thinking of paying for your vacations a little bit every time or every month, I should say. Right. And you get to take many more vacations a year than just one or two big ones. Mm -hmm. A lot of people buy into that. And that's the reason why I still believe campers and RVing is still a very popular thing. 
Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, we have lots of friends who have recently purchased an RV, or we even have friends who have RVs who have decided that they're not using them, and they sell them, and they sell them pretty quickly. Yeah, that, that is something that I've noticed, too, is uh, most of the turnaround for uh, young families that buy RVs and either just figure out they don't have time. Yes. Or it's just not for them. It's usually within 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We have friends who have owned a camper for not very long, and then they've decided that it just wasn't for them, or they just didn't have the time or the margin to be able to to use it as much as they wanted to. So be looking for those used RVs for some great deals. Totally. <laughs> totally. All right. Now that we've gotten through kind of the history of RVing, I know that was very compact, but I just wanted to know where all that came from. Um, and it really hasn't been that long ago since all the mainstream trailers became kind of the normal RV. That's really neat. History of RVing. That was fun. That was a great time. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Yay, Airstream. Maybe I'm the only nerd that really appreciates it. But yeah. A big thank you to Airstream for being the only one that made it through the Great Depression. That's right. And the ones that, that that really turned the juice on after World War II. Absolutely. That's awesome. To kind of make it happen. Um, it still makes me really want one. Um, yes, that would be lovely. I don't know why. Maybe it's just a piece of Americana that, that makes us all want it. Yep. All right. So something we wanted to chat about really quickly is, um, man, it gets a lot of attention on a lot of RV radio shows and podcasts and various things, but we just wanted to chime in on it. You know, Scott always has something to say about it. Um, always. Yeah. Is the quality of RVs now? Yeah. We just recently walked through an RV lot, um, a big retailer and we do that often because we have a camper. We love a camper. We're not looking to, to upgrade ours anytime soon, but that's just something that we love to do. We love to look at floor plans, just see what's out there, see what's new. And every time we walk on a lot and walk through RVs, we're disappointed. Yeah, most of the time. Um, now, I will throw a big asterisk up here, and we have also toured manufacturing plants like the Allegro plant. Right. Tiffin does it right. Yeah. Um, so a lot of this is mitigated by how much money that you want to spend. Very true. And we are not <laughs> in the Tiffin market right now. Although so. <laughs> there are a lot of very expensive motorhomes that have problems too. Absolutely. So we've walked through hundreds of RVs and motorhomes. Yes. Because we just enjoy really looking at them. So I'm just going to throw this out there for everybody who hates a specific brand or loves a specific brand. They all have their issues. Absolutely. I followed a guy on Instagram a couple of years ago. Uh, he was a wedding photographer. Um, he ended up buying an Airstream. Yes. And started traveling the country. I loved following him. Great guy. And once, maybe even twice, he was out of his Airstream for almost a month. Right. Because he had some massive water leaks and they had to remove his entire bathroom, basically all the walls, mm. all the flooring, and they had to fix it. Yep. This was under warranty. That's crazy. This was an Airstream. Right. Probably a $130,000 travel trailer. Right. And so you they all have their that problems. That wouldn't have any issues, right? That's it. So they all have their problems. So I'm going to throw that out there right now. I think all brands seem to have their problems. So I'm going to stand on my soapbox and go back to I think your best way 
to uh, alleviate some of those problems are finding a local dealer that takes pride in their inventory. Absolutely. Some don't. I know where we bought ours. Um, they actually do a quick kind of PDI on them before they put them on the lot or they try to as quickly as Absolutely. they come in because they know the little issues that all the campers have rolling off the line. So once they figure out what issues that particular line has, he tries to go ahead and knock that out and mm -hmm. get all the problems fixed. So when I'm walking through it, looking at it, there's not stuff coming loose in it, which is very right. interesting. Yeah. And they also, it's, I mean, you know, the, the, the place that we bought our RV, they set up the table like you're, going to have dinner in just a minute like they they make it look presentable as well and i know that like large organizations just can't do that but like for a small dealership it just it makes it feel like you're walking into a home yeah and a couple of days ago we actually uh walked through a bunch of campers because we just like to do that i know we're geeks but um <laughs> that's our date day <laughs> that's our date day for sure but one of the ones that we saw, um, it was on the lot, ready to be sold in the middle of five or six others, and it had a spare tire on it and a lot of fender skirt damage. Oh, yeah. So this thing had a tire blowout on it during transport. Mm -hmm. Rather than fixing it, they decided to just throw it out there and be like, hey, yeah. buy me. I've had a tire blow up. Who knows what could have gotten ripped out from under it. So doesn't make sense to me. No. Some of the other big issues that we see on a lot of campers um, whenever we just walk through them that haven't been PDIs, there's tons of trim problems. That's literally falling off. Yeah. And if you look at this really closely, typically it's just that the trim is cut a little bit too long. Mm -hmm. And by this thing, it's running down the road and flexing. It pops off because there's only four brad nails in it. Right. Right. So a lot of the stuff can be fixed pretty quickly. But if the dealers don't care to fix it before they put it on the lot, it just has a, it, man, it leaves a bad taste. In right. My How can I trust that they're going to fix it when I need them to repair it? I mean, we even walked in one that didn't have a faucet in the bathroom because they had been removed. Yeah. That was the other thing that we've seen a lot of whenever we go look is missing parts when you're at a large dealer. Yes. They will definitely use parts off another trailer to oh, fix something. So, yeah. you know, but let's just back this up and, and we, you know, we can whine about quality or we're unhappy with a manufactured quality, but when it comes down at the end of the day, we live in America. Yeah. Thank God. And customers drive the quality. Mm -hmm. As long as we keep buying them. It's true. They're going to keep making them. Absolutely. And they've been at record high sales for the past several years. I think this year has cooled down. From everybody yeah. that I've listened to in some of the um, RV business newsletters. Yeah, I mean, there's still a ton of people purchasing RVs, and you're totally right. I mean, and people that we know who are purchasing RVs, they're purchasing all across the price point. So, I mean, from low to high end, and I mean, they're buying them. So, I guess you're exactly right that whatever we choose to buy, that's what they're going to slap out there. That's right. And they're not going to improve it if we keep paying for it. Right. So anyway, um, I say if you have had an issue with your camper or with any kind of quality, especially once you've purchased it, you definitely need to talk to your dealer. Every time you talk to your dealer, you also need to email or write letters to the manufacturer. Talk yeah. to both of them at the same time. So nobody can ever say they didn't know. Right. right? Um, so that's, that's pretty much it. Like there, there's a wide variety of quality issues. So I don't know what the Latin is for buyer beware, but buyer Maybe. beware. Yeah. And we get asked all the time what brand or what RV we would recommend. And I tell people all the time, go walk through the one that you want because the same RV 
five different RVs on the lot, but the exact same model, they're all going to be different. They are all going to be different. And one of the main reasons why is, um, let's take a car manufacturer. Even though there's a lot of human hands that touch it, it's a lot of human hands with machinery. That's true. They're in jigs. It's running down a line. They hold a big metal piece of gear that has wrenches attached to it, and they press the button to start it because the machine couldn't get that accurate. But whenever you're building campers, if you've ever done a tour, it is a very hands-on experience. It's very true. It is guys and gals running around, uh, bolting stuff in, um, nailing stuff down. So I think that's why there could be such a wide variance. And you need to inspect and look at the camper that you you want to purchase. Absolutely. Not just the model number. Yep. I totally agree with that. there's your tip. Absolutely. (laughs) So still going back to, I think the best thing that you can do to kind of alleviate some of these quality issues. And I'll go back to your local dealer, find one that you can trust because they are your window to your warranty when you have problems. We've owned two brand new ones and a used pop-up. Both of the new ones had warranty issues. Absolutely. They had air conditioner problems. They had one of them, this one they were sitting in actually had a slight roof problem. Yes. Never was a leak, but I wasn't super happy with it. And we had a great local dealer with a great service department. Yeah. And he fixed it. Totally took care of it. Even us. though Coachman um, said, hey, man, that doesn't look like a big issue. Our, you know, our local dealer said it is a big issue. And he got them to agree to pay him to fix the problem. Yeah. So find you a great dealer that's going to be your advocate. Because warranties for campers and RVs are much different than car manufacturers. Yes. I used to work for a car manufacturer. The warranties are great on most cars. You can drive them all across the U.S. And if you break down, that dealership has to work on that car. Mm-hmm. They are under contract where they have to do warranty work. RV dealers are not. Right. So if you don't have a local guy that you like and that's going to get it in there fast and fix it properly, you're really at a crapshoot. Right. Yeah. So anyway, boom. There you go. RV quality. So I have a brand he wants to know. Hit me with it. Um, I've seen a lot on Facebook groups and blog posts and stuff about um, China bombs. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a firecracker. Oh, well, okay. Happy Fourth <laughs> of July. Um, what are they? Yeah, um, I don't remember when it exactly happened, but I've done a little research. Um, I believe it was in the 90s. Um, there were a lot of tire manufacturers that pushed their 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 tire manufacturers over to China. So they were having some quality issues with them. There comes the China bomb word, right? Okay. So people had um, a lot of trailer tires. Just They would just come apart on them driving down the road. So people started calling them China bombs, right? For your tires on your RVs? For your tires on okay. your RVs. I believe there were even some automobile tires that hadn't pushed overseas, and maybe some of the quality checks weren't happening. Now, this is what all this boils down to. Um, every tire made, at least sold in America, should be up to DOT standards. Every tire. Mm-hmm. So as long as you put one on your car or on your camper, that is the proper size for the weight. and Everything is like it should be, as the manufacturer recommends. You really shouldn't have a lot of problems. Some manufacturers have more problems than others. Some people love the Goodyear Endurance, I think they're called tires. There, There's like a cult following behind this tire. <laughs> I kid you not. Some people love the Maxxis tires, right? Mm-hmm. But still, these tires are made all over. Some of them are overseas. Some of them are in the U.S. So 
I've read a lot over the last couple months and a lot of professional people out there looking at the RV industry would go as far as saying that the China bomb is a myth. What do you mean? I agree though. I think that people got uh, tainted during the nineties and early two thousands with this bad, you know, with this bad run. I mean, Firestone had a pretty bad run 10, 15 years ago. They had some massive problems and they're still getting over that. But I think as long as you have a good quality tire and you replace them every four to five years, you always check the air pressure. And if you have a tire pressure monitoring system, that's even better, right? Um, I think a lot of people blame problems with tires because they don't check them. But you check ours every time we go somewhere. Oh, yeah. I check the torque on the wheels and the tire. Now that I've said this, we're going to have one blowout. Let's hope not. I hope not, No, because I've already told you that if that happens, I will scream. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's where the term China bomb came from was um, it was a lot of uh, tires that were getting manufactured over in China. And uh, they just got a bad rap. There you go. It's not a firecracker. It's a tire. Who knew? Or was a tire. All right, guys, thank you for joining us for another Cramming Memories. Um, We talked a little RV history. That was so cool. That was really cool. Then we talked a little quality issues in the RV industry. Less cool. Then Brandy got to find out what a China bomb was. Really cool. Yeah. So thank you again. And we're encouraging you to start cramming memories. Into everyday life. 